Hello, and welcome to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. My name is Jamie Edwards, and I'm a full-time professional endurance coach, age group triathlete, and triathlon fan. The Diary of an Age Grouper podcast is all about content relevant to age groupers. We'll talk to athletes, coaches, and experts who walk the walk. On this episode of The Diary of an Age Grouper, we talk to Dan Plews. Dan has risen to fame in the triathlon world over the past five years or so, and we could have him on as a coach or an expert in HRV, nutrition strategies, or heat acclimation. But we wanted to talk to him about how he trains and how he races. There's a lot of detail in this one, and we cover many topics, including planning the year, goal setting, weekly schedule, and go-to sessions. This is a very insightful conversation with Dan Plews, the age group triathlete one of the best age group triathletes in the world. This is the Diary of an Age Grouper. Dan, thank you for coming on and speaking with us today. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me on, Jamie. Been a while Been a while to connect, but um, I, think we, I think you first contacted me about two months ago or maybe even longer. I can't remember, but yeah. Well, I wasn't going to mention that, but seeing as you brought it up, you're definitely a hard man to get a hold of, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> Worth the wait, I think. Yeah, uh, 2023 was a... Um, was a year I put a lot of things off, and then um, then someone said, so I, I actually finished my last race of the year, and someone said to me, um, "Man, you've been busy." And I went, "Yeah, I've been trying to basically everyone's been trying to get in touch with me. All those people I've been trying to avoid for the past year are now expecting me to um, to cough up and speak to them." <laughs> so yeah, it was um, it's been it's been a busy period trying to catch up. Yeah, well, we'll definitely definitely get into all of that and how 2023 unfolded for you but before we do that for those who don't know who you are and what you do can you just give us a brief overview of your history in the sport as as well as your professional roles um yeah so um i've been doing triathlon from an early age i've done triathlon since i was nine years old um in the uk i was brought up in the uk that's where my triathlon career I guess started. Um, I was a pretty good junior, national junior champion, national youth champion. Um, I was on. I was lottery funded for a while, um, and then uh, yeah, I guess guess I never really achieved what I wanted to achieve in that is, is in the Olympic space. And and then I finished my degree in sports science at Loughborough, moved to um, moved to a, more of a coaching role. And sports science, so I moved and did a master's in sports science at Leeds um, Leeds Metropolitan University, where Alistair Brownlee was at the time under a scholarship under the British Triathlon Federation. And I guess from there onwards, I've always I've just competed, con- continued to compete in triathlon at an amateur level, and um, also pursued my career as a, a sports scientist. Firstly, a sports scientist, and then moving into just pure coaching. Um, my my role my role is I have a PhD in exercise physiology, um, sixty five publications, three thousand citations in that area. I still I still work for a university, have uh, masters and PhD students as well. Um, so I'm very heavily involved in the sports science side of things, but it's kind of applied sports science. I worked for the New Zealand rowing team 
So I went to the Rio and Olympics, Rio and London Olympics with that team, still work with the canoe racing women's New Zealand kayak team. Um, and I was the head of physical performance for America's Cup News, America's Cup Emirates team, New Zealand, when they won the last America's Cup. So I've been um, involved in a lot of different sports, but I think the reason we're talking today is my my big passion and focus has always been triathlon where I've competed in myself a lot. Um, and I coach a lot of high-level professionals um, like Javier Gomez, Chelsea Sodaro, um, Jan van Berkel before he retired. Um, yeah, and uh, Aaron Royal. So yeah, that's a kind of bit of an overview, I guess. Uh, that was a lifetime in a few minutes, so you've done well there, I think. <laughs> so rumor has it you've retired from age group racing now. Is that is that true? And what is the next athletic goal? Yeah, I've totally retired from. Um, yeah, definitely retired. I think I was always, always kind of knew that I, I wanted to do something a little bit more. And um, and then once I achieved the goal, and there's really nothing left to do, I was going to retire. So. Yeah, I think um, no more triathlon racing for me, and I get I get a lot of pleasure out of the coaching that I do as well. So that keeps me keeps me pretty occupied. And now I'm just really focused on um, I'm actually focused on getting stronger, getting bigger. So I've been um, hitting the gym a lot. I've got a goal of um, packing on a bit of muscle. Um, so I'm in a bit of a bulk phase at the moment, which has been it's been really interesting, like a total shift in shifting everything that I've been doing. I've managed to put on seven kilos since I'm in California already. Um, and yeah, it's been really good. It's it's really, you know, the eating's a massive part of it. And you go from when you're an endurance athlete, you go from permanently, permanently being slightly hungry and trying to almost like keep lean, keep a little bit under, underfed to having to eat more than you actually really want to eat. And it's just really, really, really different. But I've been actually really enjoying it and uh, you know i've seen some massive massive improvements and massive gains really quickly so that's um that's been cool that's interesting that could probably be a, a podcast in itself but we'll, oh, yeah. we'll stay on I, track yeah um, I, I could talk about that for i mean it's a really interesting topic and i'm sure like i'm sure when uh once I've, i mean i'm only early days at the moment and um once i've gone down the phases a little bit more and i've done a little bit more in the space i'm sure it'll have some interesting conversations because no one no one has really done that before. And I've got a, an aim of getting, um, you know, closer to 90 kilos, 95, like 90 kilos when I'm, um, I'm trying to bulk up to that and then cut down a little bit. I mean, I raced at 73, 74. So, um, yeah, it's all in the aim of um, strength and longevity, but um, also trying to keep up my aerobic fitness as well. So we will see. Watch this space. All right, we will. Um, now you've gone out on top. You've um, race had a strong race at Roth earlier this year, and then you raced Ironman California and clocked the fastest age group time on record. Um, do you have a highlight from your athletic career? Is it is it this year? Is it is it Kona back in twenty eighteen, or is it something else earlier in your career that if you had to sort of pick one thing you're maybe most proud of or your your best all round performance, even if that wasn't you know uh, winning your age group or winning the overall age group race yeah. is there anything you could um, put your finger on yeah i mean there's i've had it i've had a, a, a many a few good races i mean if i really wind the clock the clock back a long way one of the first things that springs to mind was um when i was 15 and i won the national youth championships for some reason that's um edged in my memory a lot because it was 
something that I really, really went for. And um, and basically I finished, it was in 1997, so a long time ago, um, that I finished that season and, you know, and I'd been, I'd been like out the water two minutes behind the best athletes, the best people of my age all year round. And I just could never really catch up. And then I spent the whole of the winter swimming five times a week, really working on my swimming. And basically my swimming got two minutes quicker over the course of, um, over the course of the winter. And I went from, um, you know, being two minutes behind to being in the league group out of the water. And I, and I ended up winning, winning the national champs. And I just remember, you know, I've always, I'll always remember that because no one expected it. And I remember I gave a few people a shock. So I'll definitely, you know, even, even all these years on, I, I can still remember it so vividly. Um, and then the other two would have to say like Kona in 2018, I think that was also edged in my memory forever. And that was one of my, my best ever races um, easily. I would definitely say it was probably a better race in California. If you look at the times and and whatnot, I think, and it was, it was almost a perfect day with nothing went wrong really. Um, so I was really lucky on, on that. And then I think Ironman California was, was a really special race. I think. Like one of the things is that you you know you you go for a goal and when you achieve you know I had I was very specific around getting that goal of trying to break eight hours and when you achieve something that you've really set your mind to for a for just over a year it's kind of special to do it and when you almost when you're when you're doing it and you know it's going to be your last race having raced since um you know for the amount of years you know nearly thirty years like like I have it's kind of a bit of a special feeling to have, to have that. Um, I've done a lot of racing, a lot of racing. I mean, I can't imagine how many races I've done in my, in my lifetime, but um, it's kind of, it was nice to be leading to knowing that I was almost achieving what I wanted to achieve and knowing that it was going to be kind of the end of a end of an era as well. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, the three pretty good performances to hang your hat on. I think uh, most other age groupers would take, even just one of those. Um, so we're going to get into a few of those things. Probably not going to go right back to 1997 and you as a, <laughs> a youth and a junior, but um, definitely want to talk to you about Kona in 2018. Um, but we're going to start off with this year. So can you tell us um, what your goals for the year were heading into this season uh, or heading into 2023 um, and you know what the plan was? Because you haven't mentioned it yet, but Roth, Roth was in there and you did race in, at Roth. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, can you can you sort of start from the beginning of the year and um, how how it all came about? Yeah, so so to basically since two thousand eighteen, I haven't I hadn't done one race, so one Ironman race. So I did after I finished Taub, after I finished Kona in two thousand eighteen. I I kind of thought, oh, I probably won't do any more racing after that. But um, I think there was, but I kind of kept on keeping pretty fit and keeping on training. So maybe in the back of my mind that there was something that wasn't really. Um, that I wasn't satisfied with. I did one race in 2020, um, 70.3 Taupo. And the main reason I did that was because my dad was racing, um, had qualified for the world 70.3 champs that was supposed to be in Taupo that year. Inevitably, it wasn't because of COVID. But um, my dad said, oh, it'd be really nice if we could do that race together. And I um, so I, I did that just to get a slot so we could then do the world championships together at the end of the year. Um, that didn't happen. So um, and apart from that race, I hadn't raced and I wasn't going to race at all um, since 2018. But then October 2022, I turned 40 and I guess I had this underlying um, desire to 
to do something a little bit more um, in the triath in the Ironman space and for myself in that I'd never really done a fast time. My, my fastest time was 8.24 in Kona, which is not a very fast course. And and I was talking to like Thorsten Rad, who's from Tri Rating, and, you know, he was saying, well, you know, if you pick the right course, um, you've got 20 minutes alone in time. Like, you know, you, you could be 20 minutes faster than that just for the sake of a course. So, you know, if you get a bit fitter and you, um, you know, you do some other advantages, shoes, aerodynamics, you know, you could be close to, close to breaking eight hours. So, it was always the first thing was to do a faster time. Um, and then a kind of, I guess a secret kind of pie in the sky goal was to try and break, try and break eight hours if I could. Um, and that was kind of the, the goal for all of 2023. So I started the year, I did an eight week build at the end of 2022 to do Ironman New Zealand, which was in December, which was the race that should have been in March, which was canceled. Um, so I did that on an eight week build. I had, an, I had an okay race there. I was still, um, I think I was still 15 minutes slower than I was um, when I did it in 2018 um, on a bit of a wetty and crappy, crappy day in terms of the weather. Um, so, so yeah, so I did, um, I did that. And then, but the main aim was to kind of say, okay, let's see where I'm at and um, see if I can kind of rekindle some form to get back to where I was in 2018. So that went well, it wasn't brilliant. And then I did, um, a 70.3 in March in Taupo and I, I won the overall age group in that and I had a much a much better race and I, I sort of started seeing some numbers compar- that were comparative to what I'd done in 2018 and um and then kind of planned the year with the aim was always to try and go um sub eight in Roth you know I picked a good course Roth looked like Roth looked like it was on paper a fast course it's slightly short on the bike and slightly short on the run as well so that always helps um so I was uh so that was kind of the aim to um to go sub eight in Roth and I went out to Europe and had a good prep because I was I was doing um was there for three weeks before the race um with Chelsea and Jan doing a bit of prep but unfortunately I got an Achilles injury and um you know I didn't I didn't hardly do any running I didn't run for nearly two weeks before the race and then I managed to run um start running a week before but you know the the preparation was not very good it was far from ideal um i had really sore legs going into the race and the race i mean when i look at the race itself it was a really really good race and it's all i could have asked for and done on that day but um i couldn't um but it you know from a preparation standpoint i knew there was a bit left on the table okay and that's where the idea of going to california was born so we'll touch on that in a minute so there's a couple of things in there uh just in regards to your training so you said after 2018 so so between 2018 other than that one race i think you said in 2021 you didn't really race yeah 2020 2020, sorry and yeah you didn't you didn't really race but you're keeping yourself fit so i'm interested to hear about how your train what your training looks like when you're not in an iron iron man or iron distance race block yeah Um, and then also you know then we'll transition into okay what what are the you know what do you then do when you step up so what does it look like when you're just sort of you know what does dan clues do to just keep fit yeah i guess i was doing um i was doing between 10 and 15 hours of training a week which for most people will they would consider training but i don't really consider that i consider that more exercise than training um you know and that would consist i was still getting out on the weekends and doing a long run i was getting out doing a longer ride as well on the weekends um but yeah it was just um it was pretty ad hoc to be honest I didn't really have a structure I just kind of did what I felt 
like doing on on various days. Um, I had a few little races, like single races, that kept me occupied. So I did like a few mountain bike races. I did some half marathons. Um, you know that that definitely helped with with being a bit more focused from here and there. But um, I did that, and I did, and I was doing strength training twice a week as well. But you know, it was more like Tabata type circuits. Um, you know, one minute on, twenty seconds off of you know, t- 10, 10, 10 exercises, three rounds sort of thing, twice a week. Um, but yeah, just getting in with the squad. Uh, we have a great swim squad, Swim Smooth Auckland here. And, um, you know, I was getting in with them every um, two, three times a week as well. So it was just doing things that I wanted to do more than anything. You know, I enjoy doing a long run on the weekends. I enjoy going out on a long ride with my mates on a Saturday I enjoy going to the swim squad three times a week. I enjoy doing the the strength training sessions, you know, and it's kind of like, it's so ingrained in me that I wake up in the morning and I do some training. That's it. That's the end of it. Just like everyone, most people wake up and brush their teeth. I get up and I always do something. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was just really ticking over to be honest. And with a little bit of intensity from the swimming, but mostly just endurance work. Yeah, okay, so it's almost incidental for you and that just happens. You know, your habits mean that you sort of sit around that 10 or 15 hours and you've got a good mix across swim, bike and run. You're doing those key things like yeah. a long run, a long ride, your swim squad, some strength yeah, work. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, you do an hour and a half run on a Saturday. You know, you ride for three hours on a Saturday. You run for um, an hour and a half on a Sunday. That's already four and a half hours. Then you've got, you know, you've got basically another four hours of swimming, right? So... <laughs> So, you know, you're already close to 10, right? And then you've got your little bits in between and it soon gets over 10 easily. So it's not that it's not that hard to hard to achieve it, right? So. Yeah. And it gives you a pretty good platform. So I have to ask about this. Um, you did an eight-week block into um, Ironman New Zealand in December um, and you said, you know, you went quite well considering. So you've come off that platform of 10 or 15 hours just sort of ticking along. What What sort of shifts and changes do you make um, when you sort of enter into a, a race block? Yeah, so I guess then I, then from there, I go to 20 to 25 hours. So from 10 to 15 to 20 to 25. Um, but, you know, it suddenly becomes a lot more specific. You, you know, the intervals are longer. The um, You know, I'm just really dialed in with every single session. You know, there's all structure to it, um, not just doing what I feel like on a given day. You know, I typically structure my weeks where I go um, when I'm training properly. I'll structure my weeks where Mondays and Fridays are quite easy days. And then I really do high density Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, where I'll do a lot of solid, solid work. Um, And then um, and then Friday and then Saturday, Sunday, a a solid as well. So that's kind of how I do it. And um, but it's all, you know, suddenly I'll be doing like some long, longer threshold sets on the bike, tempo runs. yeah, and it's just uh, and that those long rides become four or five hours with a decent runoff. The long runs go up, you know, they get towards two hours, you know, even three. I mean, I remember before I did Taupo, I was doing like a two-hour run and then a ten k at Ironman pace, for example, built up to doing that. Um, but yeah, there was a, these are the you know it just becomes a lot more specific and um, just more of it. Yeah. Okay. I think we'll go into a. Um... The, the full weekly structure and go full details, but maybe we'll do, we'll save that for when we're talking about um, uh, California. So you went, I think, 818 at Roth 
Um, so I th- that was the day that you were originally planning to try and break eight on that one, I think, was your pie in the sky goal, as you put it. Yeah. Um, but obviously with the running injury, you weren't able to do that. And you, you got through in an 8-18, which is obviously pretty, pretty solid. Um, so tell us about how you then pivoted from Roth into California. Yeah, I mean, I think when we, when I finished Roth, we went into the Swiss mountains and, you know, we're literally on top of a mountain, nothing around, um, just hanging out really, you know, with the kids and um, my wife. And it was a real, um, it was actually um, Jan van Berkel's um, wife's parents' place. And we were really lucky that we, we could have some time there, but it was, it was, a, it was an amazing location, but it really gave me some time to think. And I think even Kate, my wife, she knew that I was a little bit unsatisfied and, you know, in Kate's words, she's like, oh, well, you know, for the sake of three months, what's the, you know, what, what's the difference? She, the times now you're not going to get another chance. And she was right because I wasn't getting any younger. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd already got a lot of fitness in my back pocket and to do another build, to stop and do another build again would be really hard. So, um, so we kind of made the decision to target another a race where which would be a fast course. So I, you know, I did I did my due diligence and I looked around looking for a, a course that I thought could be fast. Um, so I I thought about there was um there was basically it was between Florida and California in the end. Um, oh yeah, Florida, California, and Cozumel were the three were the three ones that came up. Um, I think Florida would have been a good choice, but the problem was it was just logistically to get there from New Zealand was a bit of a nightmare whereas getting to california was a straight flight from san francisco so it was a lot easier um and um yeah so you know i looked at the course the course actually had never been it was it was a bit dodgy it was a little bit of a risk because the year before i think the winner only did 855 but apparently it was very windy and i looked at the the course profile and you know it was very it's, it was very very flat so um, I knew it was a, I knew it was also a downriver swim like Cozumel. Um, so, um, yes, yeah, so that's the one, that's the one that I, did, I inevitably um, decided to, to, to go for. And yeah, as you said, you, you would have been carrying pretty good fitness and form after broth. So what did you, what did you do the same in that three month block and, and what did you do? What did you do different? What did I do? What did I do the same? Um, so let me try and think about it. I mean, I actually took a very long break after Roth. I mean, I still kind of ticked over a lot, but we were in Europe for a lot of that for quite a long time after Roth. But um, you know, I kept on ticking over. I did a bit of. I didn't hardly do any swimming, mind. But um, I um, yeah, I just kept on going. Then when we got back to New Zealand, which I think was when did, I, when did we get back to New Zealand? I think it was around August early August um then I then I started getting back into the full structure of training and you know things things were pretty much the same as as before really the same same type of structure I didn't really change that much but um I was definitely but during that period I started so what happened with um what what I typically do with training is I'll, I'll build up to doing certain sessions that I believe are very key before I do an Ironman so like for once, for one example, is um, I do a very hilly tempo run. I always, uh, I normally do at home. I have a loop in a park where I do. It's like a hilly off-road tempo run, and I'll and it's fifteen k, and I'll do that run. And I believe and I've always found that that really translates to me running well after biking an Ironman. Eight one k's is another session that I'll do just before I do an Ironman. 
three three k's off the bike is another session that I do just before an Ironman. And these sessions, um, this is all running by the way. Um, talk about cycling, like four by twenty minutes on the bike is a session that I always do before an Ironman. Um, but I always kind of my training all builds towards doing these sessions very well. And, um, you know, the training that I was doing before Roth was building and building, but I never did any of these sessions. So I never did any of any of the the last key sessions that I believe are the real catalyst to to kind of really jump you into really great race shape, race shape. Um, so the main difference was that I kind of built in and this time I managed to do all those sessions as well. So that gave me another boost in my overall fitness and and like particularly I did the three three K sessions faster than I did in 2018 when I won at Kona. So I knew I was in very good shape from that, from you know, just from just from looking at the data, really. And that that and I I'm someone who gives gets a lot of confidence from from objective data. And that um yeah, that was really, really um the main differences really was the fact that I same bill, but I got to finish the last four weeks properly this time. Yeah, okay. So was there any reason why you didn't get to those sessions before Roth? I was injured. Ah, uh, because of the right. I gotcha. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, did you still get your bike ones done and your swimming ones done? Yeah, but I mean, they just. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't mean anything though. That's the thing. Like anyone knows that if you're not running, you bike better. You know, so yeah. it just doesn't. I, I couldn't take any confidence from it. And to be honest with you, even in Roth itself, I. I had no confidence on the bike because I had no confidence in my running. And that was a real, that was a really the thing that hamstrung me on the day is that I, I, it, you know, I just didn't have the confidence that I normally have when I'm racing because I, I felt like I had no run training in me. So I couldn't afford to really dig deep on the bike. Cause if I did, I'd have an even worse run than I thought I was going to have anyway. So, um, so yeah, that, that's, that's one of the main, the main things I don't, it's hard to take any, any, um, um, you know, real, real, um, figure or, or, or anything from doing the bike sessions, um, with no running around it, you know, your legs are fresher, you're not running. Yeah. So it's hard. Yeah. Fair enough. So you've mentioned the, a, a few of your go-tos on the run. Are they something that you do one off? Is it a, you know, once a week for four weeks and what sort of timeline before yeah, the event, I mean, you no, I mean it's not. It, it, I mean, some of those sessions are a one-off, but you're still training the similar training type, like more than once, right? So you might the the session might be three three k's, but the week before I might do four two k's. Yeah. You know? So um, yeah, um, and like with the with the one k's, I did that. Did I do it three times? I think I did. Yeah, I did that three times. So yeah, three or two times. I can't remember now. I think it was three. Yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned the four by twenty on the bike. Are there any other go tos on the bike? Uh, well, something I always do a hundred k time trial. That's always one that I'll always do. Um, always do a twenty k run off the bike. Um, at Ironman pace. That's another one that I'll do. Basically, so I'll, I'll often do the. I did the four by twenties twice on the road with a and the other. I did it one time on the road with a twenty k run off. Um, the other time I just did it straight with no run off um but yeah i'm i'm a big believe i i really think that the thing that most triathletes get wrong is that they just don't go quite long enough in a lot of their intervals you know doing six minutes or eight minutes or making them short you have to go you have to pre-fatigue and you have to go long to really make a make a difference so you know the 100k time trial is a great session 
use case that's totally totally honest and i do that at about 10 to 20 watts above what i'd hold in an ironman so yeah so i did and that then, well 290 for example yeah and while we're at it we may as well any any go-tos for the swim i mean i really um i mean i'm often in just doing what the swim squad's doing i i really think that getting involved in the swim squad is the best thing you can do for your swimming right but um but we do but i mean i'm part of the the swim school swim smooth squad um you know and that's the kind of philosophy that we adopt across endure iq and you know it's all built up around you know threshold sessions you, you know swimming doesn't change that much through the year it's typically always going to be like um, a technique and an endurance session i'll typically do then a speed session which might be um like 40 50s with every fourth one fast or 50 max and 150 easy um then on wednesday i do like a threshold session which would be swimming at critical swim speed with short rest which can be you know anywhere between 400s and 200s that sort of thing um thursday i'll typically have a recovery swim just 2k continuous swimming and then friday we have like what's called in swim smooth is called the red mist session which is kind of like your sub-threshold longer swims, 5K, um, 5K of swimming where you're doing, it might be a series of 400s or, um, but it's typically, it's, those red mist sessions are designed to be very, very challenging. So longer reps, short turnarounds, um, really strength building, includes a bit of paddles in there and um, they're, they're really good. I'm, I'm typically, I mean, in, even with the pros and the age groups that I coach, I really think that swimming is such a great, tool for triathletes to get a lot of training volume with um and build up aerobic fitness whilst whilst minimizing injury risk like i was swimming 20k a week in the build-up to um so i I typically swim 20k a week in the build to all my ironman so that consists of 5k on a monday 5k on a wednesday 5k on a friday 3k on a tuesday and a 2k on a on a thursday you know five swims a week making up to 20k yeah, and you just find that's got a lot of carryover into your overall aerobic yeah, conditioning. Exactly. Yeah, uh, and I think it's um, it's really great. It's really great training, and um, particularly, I mean, I don't really consider myself. A, I consider myself a bit of a non-swimmer as well, so I find that I thrive off that kind of volume and frequency as well. Yep. And is there anything you did specifically for the course leading into California, or were you doing anything knowing that it, you know, it could be a, a fast course and a fast day, and you're moving at higher speeds than what you're used to no not really i mean i was i was fortunate that um i went to i went to kona for a little for a, a two-week stint with because with chelsea on a training camp in the build-up and that was good because we were get, had the opportunity to get on some faster roads whereas in new zealand the roads are just super super slow so um bumpy and not very smooth so they were more similar to um more similar to the roads in California, which was helpful. But I mean, nothing specific, really. Just, um, I mean, I I spend most of my time indoors anyway. Um, I I only go out on the road at the weekends, and um, as as it as it would have it, like I didn't. It rained a lot, and I didn't actually get out on the road as much as I would have liked. But um, yeah, I typically spend most of my time indoors just because it's a lot more efficient, and um, I don't really like going on the roads in the middle of the week because it's a little bit too busy. So. All right. Do you want to just quickly walk us through the race then? Um, Swim, bike, run. What went well? Anything not go well? California. 
Yes, California. Yeah, yeah, California. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I think everyone uh, the swim was a bit of a shock. I mean, the swim was a downstream swim, and it was probably it was way faster than I was anticipating it to be. But um, I actually had a very, despite the time my swim, my I had a very good swim. Um, you know, I, you know, I wasn't that far off the front, which is you know, swimming is usually where I'm a little bit down, um, and I was only just behind some pretty good swimmers. So that was um, was a good swim, and then I. Uh, I got on the bike and um, I was in second place and I was just really, it was just about sticking with my power that I knew I was going to try and hold. And I, I knew I was going to try and hold between 270 and 280 Watts for the, for the Ironman. And, um, and I had, um, there was the, the gentleman up the road was a guy called Sean Mahoney, who's, um, who's, he races for every man Jack and, you know, he's a, he's a bit of a, a decent athlete and, I wasn't really catching him at 280 watts. I could see that he, it just wasn't coming back to me quick enough. So I thought, oh, I'll just um, close the gap on him, and then, um, and then you know, we can, um, you know, we both got a bit of company for the rest of the ride. Um, so I did. I ended up doing, I think, I did 220 to 230 watts for eight minutes to um, to close him down. I caught him up, and then we, and then I went past and said, hey, let's do 10 minutes. 10 minutes each, you know, keeping legal distance, 12 meters apart. And we kind of did that all the way through until about um, 40, 50 K to go where I, um, where he, he just got a little bit tired, I think. And um, I put a, I went through a, a station pretty quick and then I was on my own from that point on. Uh, and then got onto the run. I just really got into my pace. I, I, I knew, um, I, I knew I wanted to run about a 245. Um, that was kind of my aim. So I was running at three, three fifty fives was my was my target pace, um, and that was coming out quite easily. But there's one point where it absolutely poured with rain, um, really poured, like to the point where there was actually literally a river going across the going across the um, the tarmac, and it got quite slippy going under the, some of the bridges. And that was my slowest ten k was when it was really pouring with rain. So that kind of scuppered my my pace a little bit um and it was also um yeah it, it was also quite uh the back end the back end was my best bit i had a really solid last 10k i also had to stop to go to the toilet as well which was a bit, which was never that great um but apart from that it was i mean yeah it was a good it was a really good 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 run i guess so yeah can't can't complain the run was actually a little bit long as well it was 42 point seven kilometers so and i ran through the um 42.2 in just under 47 minute one um 247 so it would have been like 246 56 or something so yeah okay so finish time 756 was that right so yeah, with the, so swim was cor correct distance but uh current assisted yeah bikes the correct distance runs slightly long is that right yeah and the transitions were mammothly long 10 minutes worth of transitions yeah. Okay. That's yeah. That's quite a while. Yeah. Um, there was it was a long the the transitions were massive and it was a really long run from the bike to the uh, yeah from the bike to the the transit sorry from the swim exit to the transition it was a long um, very long yeah very long run which wasn't that pleasant. <laughs> yeah. No. No. They never are when they're long. T one in particular, I think. Yeah. Yes. All right. Um, anything else about that race? that you think is relevant or that the block or 2023 as a whole that you think is, is relevant um, yeah, and or I mean, interesting for people. One, one thing that I didn't do for the whole of 2023 is I didn't take one recovery week, not once. 
Um, mm-hmm. I had easy periods after Roth. I had easy period, easy periods after racing. But I've come, you know, I've completely fallen out of love with traditional training periodization. Now I think it's not backed in any science. I think there's no evidence to suggest it's how things should be done. And I've really, and for that whole year, I did not take one recovery week. But what I did do is I made sure I never got so tired that I needed a full recovery week. So I kind of just hovered at a higher level with. You know, I found it really worked with blocking the days like I did with Monday, Friday, always being easy, not full rest days. I mean, on a Monday, I was doing swim, bike, run all easy. And a Friday, I was doing just a swim only. I'd swim 5K and then have the rest of the day off. Um, but I just found that was a way better way of training, especially for an age grouper, because you never know what cards you're going to get dealt in your week. And I think... When you're when you're training and you think, oh, I'm going to have a recovery week next week, and then suddenly you're um, the week before you can't do any training because of something else. It's a real um, a real blow, and I just think it keeps training much more fluid when you don't you just disregard the recovery weeks recovery weeks completely and just do shorter recovery periods. Yeah, that's interesting because I've never really scheduled recovery weeks for people. I might go you know, a couple of days here and there or an easier day, like you said, built into a week. But the goal is to never sort of dig people into a hole and myself as well, where you require a recovery week. And the other thing I say is as age groupers in particular, life will often deal you your recovery periods, you know, if you've got illness in the family or you're traveling or something like that. So I find that interesting. So that was, was that a, um, a conscious decision you made or that's just how now in reflection you've looked back and, and you've done it? Uh, I mean, I think, I think it was, uh, it just naturally happened. It wasn't really conscious, but then even if I look back to 2018, I, I didn't actually take any recovery really either. You know, I think, um, it just happens, right. You know, you travel, you, you have a race and I just don't think, um, yeah, I just, uh, I don't think you need it really. If, if you're training, right. And it's, and then now I almost do the same approach with the pros as well. You know, we just don't, t- I just don't give recovery periods and, it's like it keeps everything at a higher level continuously. Hmm. And for you, is that you? That includes you flicking between your ten to fifteen hour maintenance week and then into your twenty to twenty five hour Ironman block. Yeah, exactly. I mean, mean? The, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm talking about um, even in 2018 when I was training for Kona, I didn't really take full recovery periods then, like weeks then either. So when I look back. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of, let, let's get let's wind back to 2018 um, and talk about that year. And obviously, it ended in um, ended at Kona with an 8:24, winning the overall amateur race and um, setting the the course record for an age grouper in eight, eight hours 24. So, where did you qualify for Kona? Um. So. I was actually my, so to go back a little bit further in 2017. I I planned to do Kona. Um, that was my aim, and I, and I and I was I always had that big goal of doing it in 2017. But and I did Ironman New Zealand and I qualified. But um, my wife was pregnant and um, Bella was due right around the race period, and she actually ended up being born on race day. So um, so I didn't go and do it on that that particular year but the um but then as as a result we everything got pushed back and then 2018 became the kind of the big goal of the year was to try and win the age group overall in Kona I think like I did Kona as in 2015 
as an age grouper and I came six in my age group. I think it did nine fifteen. Nine fifteen in 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 the in the um in that particular race. And but having said that, when I finished the race, I remember talking to my dad and I was like, Yeah, you know, I could I can definitely win that race. You know, looking at the times of what the winner did and looking at what I did and how my prep went, I was like, Yeah. So it was always from that point on, it was always a long-term goal to try and win the age group overall in Kona. Um, yeah, and it, and that ended up happening. It was supposed to happen in 2017, but it ended up happening in 2018. And um, I qualified um, in 2018 in Taupo in March. Yeah. So I took my slot and um, I went, I broke the course record in Taupo that year. I went 835 um so everything was kind of moving nicely forward just had a had Jan van Berkel over in New Zealand and um Terenzo I was coaching Terenzo at the time so we were doing a lot of training together um it was a great day because Jan was fourth had a pretty bit of a break breakthrough race at the time I'd won the age group and Terenzo won the overall as well for the first time and broke the course record so it was a it was a bit of a special day I always remember that one yeah. Okay. So you've got, so you've qualified in March and so March. you've got, what's that? Seven months until yeah. you go over to Hawaii. So how did you, how did you break that down? Um, so I, I mean, I took a bit of a break after, after Ironman New Zealand, which was, which was pretty cool. Um, had a long break and then, I, then I just started, started the building really, but unfortunately I got a stress fracture in my sacrum in um, just in May time. So that, um, that put a bit of a hammer ham, hampered the the progress so i had to get over that um but then i think by the time maybe august came around early august i was starting to get back into it again and i was kind of recovered and then i was uh yeah building towards um then i started you know doing the full build like i normally do similar structure week to what we've already talked about um so that's the way i like to do it um i went to I was doing the really good thing was I had Terenzo. I mean, the best thing about that whole period was me and Terenzo were training a lot together and he lives he lived just one bay along from me. So, you know, we do pretty much everything together. Um, and that really brought along my my um my ability because he's he was just such a prolific trainer. Obviously, he's super talented. Um, and you know, until he was having a man, he was having like a blitzer of a year as well. He was just crushing everything. He won New Zealand, he then went away and he won more and more races, like doing the the four races back to back. He came third in Cairns, but then he had the um but yeah, the last period was hampered because he then had his bike accident. So um from that period on, um I was kind of training on my own a little bit more. But it um but he did come back. He came back and he started to get back into it. And that was in around the September time, um September, late August, he was he said we started to train together again. Um but yeah, that was kind of the 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 prep was really good for Kona. Um, you know, we went. Uh, me and Terenzo actually went out there on a training camp in September as well, which I think really helped. Um, yeah, that was that was. Uh, but the same principles always apply, and almost the same. You know, the same prep and sessions that I did in the lead up in 2018 were identical to what I did in California. Pretty much, not not much changed. And you know, my philosophy as an athlete and a coach is that form when, once you have a formula that works the biggest thing you can the biggest mistake you can make is just think you you want to change every anything and keeping things the same with mild tweaks and variations on what you're doing is always the path to success 
big changes in your training is um is nine times out of ten always a mistake which is why you know the worst athletes are the ones who are switching coaches all the time and the best athletes are the ones who have um consistent relationships with their coaches and i think it's for that reason yeah that's stability so just humor me here a little bit i know we've started to touch on it with answers to previous questions but you you just mentioned it again now you, you kind of got that formula that works for you you know looking at that 20 to 25 hours a week you've got your your three key swims that are five five k a piece monday wednesday friday and then you've got some more supporting swims on the tuesday and thursday long stuff on the weekend but can you just fill in the gaps in terms of monday through to sunday in terms of you know your your training week leading into an ironman yeah for sure um so monday monday like i said it was an easy day so i'd swim 5k in the morning and i'd either do like a um I'd either do like an easy ride and an easy run or just an easy run, depending on how I'm feeling. So that easy ride would be anywhere between an hour and a half and an hour, an hour and a half. And then, you know, a 30 to a four, to an hour run, depending on what I'm doing. Um, Tuesdays would typically, I would do another long ride, but I'd do it inside. Um, so I tell, you know, it'll be, it'll be around three and a three, three hours, sometimes at the three and a half, you know, I'd start at six and be off by, six um nine thirty you know getting and then cranking into some work um but i'd always i'd always have a bit of quality in there as well it's not just like riding i'd ride on the rollers in zwift and i'd also do some some sets in there which would typically be you know a bit it'd be a bit of everything in there a bit of threshold a bit of a bit of ironman power a bit of um 70.3 power like longer reps session that I'd often do would be like four by 30 minutes where you do the first 10 minutes, like building down your power, then settling into Ironman power, that sort of thing. Um, then Wednesday I would do um, swimming in the morning and another, a longer run. Um, so that would be anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours. And I do that back to back. And I think this is actually something that is a really good top tip is doing your swim to runs like long runs it makes that long run so much harder and i reckon you get so many more gains from doing the long run that way so i would basically swim from 5 30 till 7 a.m and then i would be running um so so 5 30 7 7 a.m then i'd be running by 7 38 you know a two hour run i'd be done by 10 and then um and the training's done for the day you know but i've done like a massive session like you know we're doing a two hour run three and a half hours and the swim would be high the swim would be um high quality sorry the swim would be high quality um as well so that really i found that worked really really well and then um just one second there on your wednesday i'm going to self-insert myself here um i i do that on a friday morning i i swim with with our squad and then i um and then i go and do a long run sort of on my way home and i do find it very very hard it's hard to explain i'm not running hard but it's just harder because of being depleted after the, the yeah, swim, yeah. I suppose. But um, I think you get, I think it makes it gives a lot more. I think it gives a lot more context to that to that run as well. And I like I got, I got interviewed the other week, and they said, you know, what's the biggest mistake most triathlon co- coaches make or most athletes make? And it's they are, they don't think within the context of swim bike run. They think of triathlon. They swim. They think within the context of swim bike run. And doing things under fatigue gives more context to your running. It's like you know, there's no point running three three k's really well fresh you've got to run three three k's really well off the bike um you know and i think like that's where the um, positioning and the timing of sessions is really good 
um, and really critical. So, so that was um, that was that was how the Wednesdays unfolded. Um, yep. Thursdays would be um, in the morning. I'd do something a bit more, a bit more high end on the bike. So it would be like a longer VO two max set. So, you know, talking like session that I did before. Um, what what session did I do? It was a session I did before California. Would be like. 10 three minuteers and I'd build build up. So I'd be doing the last three, you know, start at like three, start two at 370, two at 380, two at 390, two at 400, and then two at 410, like that kind of thing. Like, so building up, but it's all like uh, all above my threshold power. So it's pretty hard, uh, but longer reps. Another session I would typically do was be like five by eight minutes where you do um, two, two at your two at threshold, one just above threshold and two at threshold. That's a really hard session, but those kind of longer, more challenging, longer, um, higher end power sessions I would do on a Thursday. Um, and that would typically be followed by a run off the bike on the treadmill. And that could be anything from iron pace to 70.3 pace. Sometimes I do threshold work. Um, sometimes I do 400s, but it would be something that's got a little bit more speed and a little bit harder. Um, Fridays would be easy so that would be with the swim uh, uh, the, the only day i do swimming oh, oh, on a wednesday as well i would typically do a short um like strength a bit of strength and core strength and conditioning core session after that run like typically 30 minutes just a bit of band work and um core work some planks and stuff um yeah going back to friday i would do the um yeah i would do just swim i take the rest of the day off Saturday would be a longer ride, incorporating either some longer hill reps, like four by 15 minutes, um, which would be four to five hours in total with a runoff, which would be around eight to 10K. And then um, Sunday would be long run yeah, with um, with a bit of gym in the, in the evening as well. All right. Thanks for that. And just a little question that I thought of as you were speaking, if you were to target a 70.3, I'm assuming you would have follow a similar structure, maybe slightly less volume and a little bit more intensity that's, um, you know, more specific to the race distance? Yeah, I think, I think not much changes really. I, I would probably mean when you're doing an Ironman, you, I, I typically build up to doing three-hour runs. Um, I also think, you know, that's another thing that I never got to do before. Roth, I never managed to do a three-hour run. And I think that, to me, that makes a real big difference is doing one three-hour run just seems to real, really help. Um, but obviously, if you're doing 70.3, you don't need to be going up towards three hours. I think like two hours tops is all you need to do. And then, yeah. you know, cycling, you probably don't need to be going towards five, four, four will be enough. Okay. So let's, uh, yeah, thanks for sharing the the weekly weekly training block. I think people will listen to that on repeat, scribble notes, and then try and copy you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, um, so, what about um, you mentioned strength training? You mentioned training camps a couple of times, um, which obviously you have access to when you're working with your pros. Is there, you know, have you got advice around age groupers who you know might not have that same privilege um, and how they could potentially work in something similar? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm no different, really. I still have, I, even though I I work with pros, I still have work at a university and I still work for you know an Olympic program, so I still have to take time off when I go to those. And apply for that time off when I go to those things. So it's it's no different really. They just have to be properly properly planned. So um, particularly when I was not not so much this year, but particularly in two thousand eighteen, I was I was still um, yeah. It was it was very much like normal. Now this year, now it's a little bit different for sure. 
but um you know i still did it in 2018 just like um just like a normal worker right? i had to apply for leave and i had to um make that all work properly pro- properly but i think those training camps really help to give you a good boost in your in your training it just has to be properly planned i mean i work with a number of age groupers one-on-one you know we all we plan training camps and um we plan them at the right times around the races that they want to do and they'll you know they'll book it out and they'll take a bit of time off work to go and do a solid week somewhere fair enough uh, can you tell us about your heat acclimation protocol uh for any race really but obviously definitely relevant for the hawaii conversation uh yeah i mean i think uh i mean i use a lot of i mean getting into the climate as, as best you can is always helpful but um i use a lot of sauna i have a sauna here in my house which which is uh, which is really helpful um and even before for Kona, i didn't have a sauna but at the university i had a sauna and i had a heat chamber so you know just using using those and making sure you have some pro, like more chronic frequency of exposure and um, so like the sauna i would do every day 80, 80 to 85 degrees 20 to 25 minutes um and i actually found that to be better than the heat chamber in the end because i found that the heat chamber was a bit too draining um, but I would do the, I would just do sauna and then get, get to the, get to the venue. I think I was there 10 days before. Yeah. Okay. Um, is that just, um, you know, three, is it three times a week? Is it post every day, every day doing it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Every day in there. And I think that's, that's the important thing is that you want to be in there. You want to, you want that high frequency to, um, to really make a difference, particularly like. I typically, what I would typically, what we have, I mean, I've got a course on this, but what we typically do is um, like if if you're three weeks out, you would do like um, a solid, you'd want to block it early. And then just before you leave, you want to just bring it down a little bit, just so you're a little bit fresher for when you're getting on the plane and traveling over. So you might do like seven sessions the first week, five sessions the next week. And then the week you travel, you might do three or four. So. Yeah, that's interesting. I reckon that's maybe contrary to some of the other advice out there, which is sort of to build, build up, build the other way. Whereas you go block it early, um, bank the frequency, and then you know trail off as you get closer to travel. Exactly. And closer yeah, to the I race. find that I find that method to be much much better because you you then you get onto the plane a little bit fresher, and you're going to be getting some good acclimation anyway. And when you block it early, you know that if you get that chronic block, the plasticity of the response becomes better as you go as you as you do less as you go in and out so you want to get a good block get you get up some good adaptation adaptations and as you come in and out you'll maintain them much more easily which makes sense right obviously yep makes sense um anything else about that leading to hawaii in 2018 that you think is relevant for this conversation Mm, what else I, i don't think so um yeah i mean i think Hawaii, Hawaii is is a the course is very particular, and I think um, I was lucky that I did spend a bit of time on on the course, and uh, I reckon it really helps because anyone who does it will realize that that run is anything but flat. It is hilly the whole way. There is not one piece of flat road on that entire run course, and um, I think that is. Um, I think I think the course is much harder than most people give it credit for, and you have to really get to know it to understand how to use it to your advantage. Yeah, I think the the bike's actually quite rolling. Obviously, everyone talks about Harvey, and that's sort of the main climb and descent, which can 
often make and break the race, I think across the field, but it's obviously talked about with the pros. But the same with the runners, it's, you know, the heat gets spoken about, the energy lab gets spoken about, but it's actually just a relentless course. And it's quite unique in that regard across swim, bike and run. Um, you know, it's quite different to a lot of other courses for the obvious reasons, but there's also some less obvious reasons as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and so off the back of that, is have you got maybe top, you know, let's, let's do something like top tips for age groupers who have one, want to have their best race in Hawaii? whether that's course specifics, whether it's training specifics or, you know, heat acclimation protocols, is, is there is there things that stand out if you were working with an age grouper who wants to go and have a really good day out on the big island? Well, I do think getting out there and learning the course is is, is really important. And, and I mean, it's easier said than done, right? But I think um, if you really want to do well there, I think knowing the course is, is critical. Um, obviously, heat acclimation is everything as well there's no point I, I remember someone said to me there's no point doing any there's no point doing any training for Kona if you're not going to take your heat acclimation seriously so making sure you work with someone who really knows what they're doing in that space and your build-up and having the facilities available to you is um is really really is really important as well um and then like you have to be like your level of fitness to do well in Kona has to be next level like you, you just have to really focus on, on that one particular race. I think the best way to do well, well, the best way to do well in Kona is to is to train meticulously and be as fit as you can on the race day because you have to be um, you have to be fit but fresh. And I think one of the main mistake that most people make is they overdo the, the they they really work on the fitness which is good but they do it too much and then they're fresh. And we know that. From the research, the more tired, the more fatigued you are, you're the worse you tolerate with the heat. It's worse you tolerate heat. So um yeah, you've got to be also be fresh going into it. So um less is more when it comes to doing well in Kona in terms of the taper. You've got to be ready ready to rumble. Yeah, I think that's just good good general advice for sure. And speaking of you, you said you said to your dad um when you went there earlier and when you're nine, fifteen was six in your age group that you could win the age group race was that just based purely on outcomes and you know the speeds and paces that people were running or had you sort of gone into the data and the research around okay yeah what does it take in terms of what what sort of what's per kilo do you have to ride on the bike and uh, it, uh, it was more just based on what the winner of the age group did on that particular day you know looking at his looking at the swim and the bike and the run times that that, that he put out and i was thinking mm, you know that's not yeah, I, I it was my first time on the island, and I'd literally done no preparation, and I just felt like that was with the right preparation. You know, you just know something intrinsically that is within the reach. You know, yep. so um, so yeah, that's uh, that it was there was no proper data around it, but I just you know I just had the the feeling of that feeling, and it was in you know I had a bit of confidence around it. Mm, confidence can go a long way as well. Mm. So for the sake of consistency, do you want to just talk us through swim, bike, and run, relive the glory day? Oh, in terms of the yeah, uh, like we did for California, just tell us about yeah, swim bike. Yeah, run. man, you're really, really challenging my memory now. Yeah, uh, gonna keep you on your toes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the swim, the swim. I'm, I mean, I was quite nervous. I remember being quite nervous about the start because back then it was um, it was the last year that it was a full age group start. So all the age group men started at the same time. So it was, and in 2015 when I did it, I got absolutely smashed. So I got. I remember it was a real fight the whole time and it was it was not a pleasant swim. So I was a little bit nervous about one, getting to the front of the swim and two, having not being too caught up in the melee of it all. 
Um, but thankfully, I had I had a really good start, and I really wasn't hardly touched at all, which was amazing. And I just got into a group, and and um, basically, I had a, quite a chilled swim. I was almost doing catch up at the back of this group, just kind of hanging out, um, um, especially on the way back in, just you know, just relaxing. Got out, got out, got onto the um, onto the bike, a fifty four minute swim, and it was a. Uh, I just remember thinking, oh my God, there are so many people around me right now. Like back then there was just like cyclists after cyclists coming past me all around you. And I was just really, really conscious of not getting a, tra- a drafting penalty. You know, so I was trying to like position myself to stay within the group and try and race, stick with the power and not and not um and not get uh, a drafting penalty. And yeah, and over time, it's really it was really hectic going through the the town, but then get back onto the Queen K. Gradually, just kind of settled itself down, and then um, and there was a group that went off up the road, and from memory, in that group was um, oh, what's his name, Sven? Is it Sven Sveninsen? Uh Rasmus Sveninsen. Is he racing pro now? Yeah, he's racing pro now, and he won Lake Placid, um, not last year, the year before, I think. Oh, I'm thinking of someone, someone else. I think it's Sven Spenningson or something. Like, yeah, he, I think that's his name. <laughs> that's a good uh, name. Let's go with that name. Maybe yeah, it's a good, it. it's a good name. But he's a, but yeah, he, he's a, he's a beast on the bike. And he was, he was at the road with, with a, when there was about four, maybe there was a, maybe there was another five or six age groupers at the road in the group. But I was in the group behind, and um, basically, I, I was on. We were kind of. That group was big though, and um, I was on the front going up to Harvey um, most of the way, and then made the turn, um, came back down, and by the time we got down to the bottom, that what that what group was about twenty people was down to three of us, and then um, yeah, then we kind of came all the way back, and we, we were all together. But um, it was good. I mean, I remember I remember feeling pretty fresh, really. I, I remember you know I just I got to the point where. 180k doesn't phase you anymore and i remember coming towards the end and i was still feeling like loads of energy my legs were freshing up fresh i was pedaling really smoothly um i remember going up scenic drive i went up there like 320 watts and it just came out so easily um and i think all right this is we're in a pretty good spot here because i've clearly got a lot a lot left in the tank so i got onto came out onto the off the bike you know touched down started running through transition I kind of knew my legs were feeling pretty good at, th- at that point. Um, I picked up the wrong shoe bag. So I got to my shoes and I opened this bag and it weren't, weren't my shoes. So I had to run back and get my own shoes. Um, so I lost that group that I was in and I got onto the run. At, um, I think I was in eighth position, um, but I knew that my running was on point. I knew that I was in very good run shape. So I was pretty, I was pretty happy and confident to have got onto the run and um and I just like, yeah, just settled, settled into my pace and um, gradually got through the field. And I think I took the lead about the 20K mark, um, just uh, to, to the lead of the age group race. And uh, yeah, and then I just, um, you know how you, you ha- I remember having one of those days that I was just running and, you know, I kept seeing sub four minute K, sub four minute K and, it, and my heart rate was in check. And and then I kept, and then I made, basically I, I thought, okay, Let's just get through the energy lab, and when you get onto the energy lab, you know, let's let's see where you're at. And I ran up through the energy lab, that uphill K. I ran in a four twenty. I remember I mean, you say you challenge your memory, but I remember some things quite well. And I was thinking, oh, okay, that's running up the through the energy lab at this point in the race in a four twenty is is pretty good running. This is this is solid. 
And I, um, yeah, then I got to the top of the back onto the Queen K, which is about 10k to go. And I was, um, you know, I was still running sub like so I had some still some four sub four minute Ks in there and some four minute Ks here, here and there. And I was, and I was like, oh, I just, and I knew by that point I was 10 minutes in front. And I was, um, oh, wow. I was, so I was like, oh, I'll just, just do, you know, I had this thing, I had this, I knew that the course record was on target because I knew that I'd bike to 430. And I knew that I'm a 54, so I'd done the maths in my head and I knew that the course record was on target. And I thought, oh, you know, just keep keep pushing to see, you know, it'd be good to kind of knock that course record out of sight a little bit. But um, but yeah, and then, and but I kept on thinking, oh, you should slow down now. You don't have to run any faster. But I kept accidentally running too fast. So um, <laughs> a very so, yeah. rare problem, isn't it? Yeah. At the yeah, back end of a marathon. It's very easy yeah. to do in the front end of a marathon. Yeah, yeah, it was... Uh, it was just one of those days that was really good. I mean, the only time I really felt it is when I ran down Polani, that downhill really blew my quads a little bit. But apart from that, I had very good legs. And then, yeah, that was, uh, I, you know, you, you dream of certain situations and you visualize certain things in your mind and they don't often come true. And I'm pretty fortunate that I've had that on a, on a few occasions in my life. Um, so I'm thankful for that. A uh, good day. So eight twenty-four still stands. We'll see if it uh, gets uh, taken in the coming years. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, well, the records are there to be broken. That's I right. There's fifty um, currently fifty percent less opportunity to do it. Like you got to wait every second year. So yeah, that, that exactly. kind of help you. Was was that was that you lobbying for? It to be <laughs> <in Canada? laughs> yeah. Well, Lucy still went faster than she actually was three seconds faster than my time this year. Crazily. <laughs> I think yeah. you. I think it's okay to be beaten by Lucy Charles Barkley. <laughs> Maybe it isn't in your head, but uh, it's, it's <laughs> no. not too bad. It's good company at the very least. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think um, you know, the, the, these records are to be broken, of course. And I think, and and it will be. It will definitely be broken at some point, of course. Um, just, I mean, even even the technology alone has come on so far in terms of like the front end setups and stuff like that. You know, so. Um, yeah uh we'll see but it's not it's not it's not um we've been fortunate that cone has been really really good conditions for the past few years so i think we're due for a day where it's just hot as hell and windy as hell and then um and then hopefully um we'll be back to normal kona times <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah thank again thanks for the recap there um last thing on hawaii then we'll get into some uh tips and and training uh specifics but i this stood out for me i remember sort of um i think you're on a couple of podcasts and in a couple of magazine articles and you said that um winning that race sort of really put your name on the map and you said at the top of the show that you've got many publications you've got a lot of um history in the in the science of the sport and, and been involved at high level sport but you got lots of coaching inquiries um off yeah, the back did, of this yeah. because you're yeah. a fast athlete people thought you would be a good coach um, yeah, can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that? Were you, were you ready for that? And again, have you had a similar experience now after California and going sub eight? Um, not as much for after California, but I think it's because people were a bit more aware of me. You know, as, as no one was aware of me at all before um, Kona, I think. But yeah, I mean, it, it def definitely like athlete athletes like to have a fast coach for some for some reason and. Um, yeah, I, it's it's a funny thing because like me as a me as an athlete myself, there's no way I would put any clout on how well how good an athlete is themselves. 
when I made the decision for them to be my coach, you know, but obviously I think it is important to many people, which was clear from, from my experience. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, but I'm not complaining because uh, fortunately no, I have no, the, no. Um, I have the, fortunately for me, I have the triple threat. So, which I don't think many, many, um, many people have. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. The, the, what the science, the coaching, and then your own athletic ability. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. yeah. No, I think it's a, it's quite, that's quite good, quite well-rounded, obviously serving you quite well. So that's good. Yeah. All right, so we've we've talked a lot about. We're going to move into you know, a couple of tips, and you know, so people can get away, uh, come away from this with some tips. We've obviously talked a lot about Dan Plews, the athlete, and the way you you do things. Um, we talked a lot about your go to sessions and what an Ironman block looks like. Do you have a, a favorite session? Is there a session that stands out when I ask that that question? Um, I always I like um, the hard bike sessions and the runoffs. You know, I just feel so satisfied after that. Like the longer Longer threshold, longer VO2. So like, a, you know, a typical session could be like six by six minutes where you do two at two at your threshold power and then two just above your threshold power, then two at your threshold power. I love that type of session with a, like a, a runoff that's you're starting a little bit faster and settling into your Ironman pace. I, I really enjoy those sorts of sessions and, it, and, I, and I feel like I like them because they're hard, but you don't feel too beat up after them. Whereas when you do like a really long, like four by 40 minutes of Ironman power, they're good and you feel satisfied, but you're, you're just good for nothing after the session because you're mm-hmm. so tired. Um, so there, there's a sort there's the sorts of sessions that I like. Um, but I think every session is dependent on where you are at the time. I think you find more enjoyment um, doing the things that you're most um ready for at that particular period of time i mean if i was really really unfit and not ready for a threshold session i probably wouldn't enjoy it that much but they're the i do i do really like those sessions but and also just you know i I, I love going long as well mm. like the longer the long rides the six seven hour rides is something that i i really really enjoy doing as well yeah yeah um so you like a bit of high intensity but you like it more if you're ready for it but you're um at the same time, you you do love your your long endurance work, yeah, as exactly. well. Just getting out for hours on end. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm I'm a big fan of training. I love training. Um, I think uh, I've always enjoyed the process of 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 being a triathlete because I enjoy training so much. And um, yeah, there's nothing better. Particularly like remember we did I did some rides with um Chelsea and Jan in Saint Moritz earlier in the year and you know, just riding in the mountains and doing six, we did like this six, seven hour ride. And it was just like, so good. I mean, that sort of thing is the best is, you know, riding in the mountains and um, just going long. It's, it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. That's a good one. Hey, one other thing uh, I just thought of, I've been wanting to ask you this for a while, but you, you often do the descending runs off the bike, even in an Ironman block. So 10 Ks, but going 4 K, oh, sorry, 1 K the fastest, like maybe 320 pace for you. And then going the two Ks at three thirty, three Ks at three forty, and then the final four Ks at three fifty, which is kind of your Ironman pace. Is that just something you like to do? Is that your accelerated fatigue, or is there another theory or reason for those yeah, type of sessions? The, the main reason is is um, like Ironman and doing well in Ironman is all about doing things under with fatigue, and um, and that's what I'm always trying to emulate. So I'll do I'll I'll do that a lot on the bike as well, was you start hard and settle into your Ironman pace. Whereas, you know, doing it the opposite way around where you're starting slow and building into it, it just it's not it's not how we do things. It, we, we, 
if you consider what Ironman is, you're basically you're holding on for the last 10k, and that's the hardest bit. So it's but it's but it's really hard to em, to um, emulate that in training. So the best way you can do it is kind of do harder efforts at the start, fatigue yourself a little bit, and then um, settle into pace. It's also really good from a heart rate monitoring perspective because if you can go out hard, it, it makes the session it makes the session much more equal. Because what you generally find is if you do like a one k, two k, three k, four k, your heart rate is actually the same the whole way through. So you'll get out and your heart rate will jump to one sixty because it's um, because you're doing a one k so hard and it'll get there really quick. And then you'll drop the pace and it'll stay at 160. Then you'll drop the pace again. It'll stay in 160. And it gives you a really nice stable profile as well. Um, so you get more time at a higher heart rate, which is um, great training as well. Yeah, I knew some thought had gone into it, but I just thought I'd clarify. Um, you obviously love training. Have you got a sort of a least favorite session or something that you kind of dread? Just, um, just But swimming, you have to do it anyway. Really? Swimming in general. <laughs> That's such a common answer, yeah. Fair <laughs> i just no that's not true i'm just i'm not I'm, i just never really like swimming that much um i mean i think it's something to do with being especially i, I love swimming in, in australia you're more fortunate than us because you've just only got 50 meter outdoor pools i love a bit of that but like when it's an indoor chlorinated pool I just don't, I don't not enjoy it. I just don't enjoy it as much. And I'm not convinced being inside that chlorine is that great for your health overall either, which is why I'm not really doing any swimming anymore. And if the only swimming I'm doing is in the sea. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, speaking of the swimming, do you have a, a swim tip for age groupers? Like if there was just one that you could, you could give, I know it's a, again, a cliche question, but. Yeah. Well, I think, I think working, you know, I think, the biggest thing that um, I think I, I see the biggest mistake in age groupers is that they try and swim like swimming in a pool. So they'll go and see a swim coach and they're all like counting your strokes, gliding, um, you know, distance per stroke. This is the worst advice anyone can give someone who is trying to swim well in the open water. So my advice, if you really want to get good at swimming for a triathlon, think about the context of swimming in. It's a swim in a in the ocean, in a lake, in the where in a river, before you're going to go and do a bike, going to do a um, a bike. So you need to think about how your swimming looks. You don't want to be doing a big leg kick. You don't want to be over gliding. You don't want to be doing. You you want to be having a quicker stroke rate because that's the best thing that's going to be. That's the way you're going to swim best when it comes to racing. So I think um, that's the biggest mistake I have is um, I see is athletes being obsessed with distance per stroke and counting the strokes and trying to glide and kick as much as they can because it just never ends that well for when it comes to racing mm. i'm glad you said that i might uh, have to grab that sound bite and share it with share it with some people um, <laughs> bike number one bike tip um number one bike tip is um get your equipment dialed in i think that's a massive massive piece i don't think when i say equipment i don't think it means buy a disc wheel and a and a you know, but I think there's some very big basics that you can get right quite cheap. So, um, you know, position on the bike is number one. So getting a bike that fits you and you've been properly um, fitted and your position's suitable and aerodynamic and comfortable. I think that's the, the main thing. But then also like just spending your money on the right things, which would be like probably an aero helmet and calf guards for your bang for your buck, um, you know, and not, not just going and getting a disc wheel and a, you know, and doing those sorts of things, spending your money wisely, wisely, because those things can really make a big difference. 
Yeah, that's a good one. I think that's been a massive progression in the well, in the sport in general, but even in the age group ranks in the last few years is just people's fit and being dialed in with equipment and it doesn't have to be really expensive stuff either. Um, no. Yeah, so that's I mean, a good one. Get, you can get some calf guards. Like, they're about 50 bucks and they actually make a reasonable difference. Mm. Yep. Uh, and then run tips or run, yeah, number one run tip for age groupers. Um, number one run tip for age groupers I I I think that when it comes to running, um, I would again I would uh definitely give someone look at running form something that's often overlooked. So um making sure that you can't really change that much of your running, but I think what I've found in the past is that if you can work with someone who has some skills in the area where they look at the way you run and they can help you with um some exercises to help you with your running, I think that's really helpful what i mean by that is you know you might be dropping your right shoulder and often people say oh you're dropping your right shoulder lift it up a bit but normally it's something to do with your your muscular your muscularity or your imbalances or whatever and you can there are some really good people out there who can work on help you work to kind of fix that to fix your running and make you more fluid um there's a guy called matt pendola who works with chelsea who i did a bit of work with before um before california and he specialized in this area and he, you know, I find that to be really good. And I think um, for a lot of age groupers, um, it's something that you should definitely consider worth, you should definitely consider looking at. And then the other big tip for running would be um, you don't have to run that much. You don't have to run massive volumes to be a good runner. Frequency is important, but I think you can do a lot with just 50 K of running a week. You don't have to be running 80 to hundred K. Um, and um, what well, I think being the the consistency is key. And what I typically do is um, I don't really do much fast running until the just before racing. So all my runs with my with myself and the athletes that I coach, I do most of the hard, higher intensity work on the bike and in the swim, and then I do tempo running, and that's tempo and tempo running and long slow distance running, and that's it with a few um, with a few harder runs before competition. And I think you know doing track sessions every week and pushing and doing vo2 max run sessions is a is a is a fast way to um make you very fatigued and likely cause you a bit some injuries as well yeah i think that's another good tip and uh, another soundbite i reckon that uh, should be shared far far and wide uh, the yeah. things that people think make them fast versus what actually makes them fast and, yeah, uh, you I don't mean, have to do like, heaps of volume and heaps of high intensity yeah everyone loves a track session right but mm. um I just don't think um, they're, they're enjoyable, but I just don't think they have their place very often in in the in the triathlons um, training and the triathlete training schedule. Um, like I said, like the only time I mean, I did those eight one k eight one k's three times before I'm in California, and that was the only time I touched the track the entire year. You know, so um, I would have done it just before off, but I never managed to do it. But you know, that I, I would only really do that sort of running in the last you know four weeks before a big race. And by that time, my injury risk is low, right? Because I've done so much running and I'm so resilient and I'm so fit and I'm light. So, um, yeah, it's um, something to be considered. Well, it's that's the icing on the cake, but you've got a really good base layer. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then tips for integrating strength training. Yeah. So, I mean, if I have to say there's one thing, you know, um, 2018 to 2023, what you know five years five years later so 36 to 41 
the the only the biggest difference that I did between those five years was I integrated strength training into my um into my training plan, and I think it's really made a big difference to my injury risk and. And I actually saw the physio and, and um, osteo less than I ever have in my life before I went and did um, California. Whereas before um, Ironman, I was, and um, before Hawaii, I was actually getting a lot of treatment nearly all the time. And I really think it was the strength training that made made the difference. Um, just in just in general general uh, general resilience and how I seem to um, just not get as many niggles. And often I can have a niggle do strength training and it wouldn't be there anymore. It was be, it would be crazy. Um, but I think getting the, the right, the right strength training and doing it right is really important. Um, so I think that's a, a really big thing, but it doesn't have to be much like two 30 minute sessions a week. If it's done right is enough to make, to make a difference. So, um, yeah, I would definitely consider that. We've actually, we're just about to launch a brand new course, LDT 301, which is all about the integration of strength training into the long distance triathlon training plan. So um, yeah, it's better. It'll be, it'll be out like in a couple of weeks time. So if you want to check that out, yeah, check it out. Yeah, can, it sounds good. You can sign um, up now. There's, there's pre pre signups already. So yeah, cool. Great. Um, and then what would you say is the biggest mistake you've made in your athletic career? or one or two mistakes that you've made and potentially people can learn from what you did. Obviously you would have, and you would have changed it, but is there anything yeah. that stands out with that question? One thing that really, I've asked this question before. One thing that stands out to me is one of my big, my, my only regrets I have in my whole career as a, in doing triathlon is I wish I moved to the longer distance earlier than I did. It took me a long time to do it. I think I was, I wasn't, I was about 30 and when I originally made that shift and, um, and inevitably, I'm, I'm way, way better at the longer distance, way better. And I and I wish I'd listened to some coaches at Loughborough University at the time and told me I should consider doing it because that's where my physiology seemed to to be lending itself to. But I didn't because I wanted to be good at I am um, the Olympic distance. And yeah, that's that's kind of a, a regret. So I think I think there's a bit of merit to not going too early. But I think um, yeah, I think you know you have to stick. You have to kind of follow where your strengths lie and go with that. So that's um, that's one one thing. Um, and the other thing that really ruined my early career, um, as a, you know, in my twenties to thirties was just a high carbohydrate diet. I was told that carbohydrates were the way. I was told that you you can't eat enough carbs, and it just meant I was always overweight, always hungry never really recovered that well from training and changing my diet to a lower carb diet is actually the thing that made me go from like a 410 70.3 to sub four. And um, that was actually the thing that made me inevitably win Kona and do what I've done. I don't think if I hadn't made those changes to my diet, none of this would have ever have happened. So um, that, that's the, that's the other thing mistake was listening to conventional nutrition advice and chowing down as many carbs as I can both outside and inside of racing. Yeah, that's interesting because um, obviously that's one thing you're kind of known for in the industry. Um, and more recently, there's been a, a shift back to the higher carbohydrate um, yeah. way of way of eating, way of fueling. Yeah, um, there has, yeah. It's and a tricky I, mix with I, age I, groupers and make sure they're getting enough. Yeah, um, I mean. And, and how to do that. Yeah, I mean, you'll see um, I'm I'm trying to fight very hard against it because there's no evidence for it. I mean, I mean, I'm yet to... I'm, 
I'm yet to see a study that shows that that type of high in carb carbohydrate ingestion is beneficial for performance in anything that's it's showing the opposite and it's quite clear. So, um, you know, we're trying to work on a few publications in this space. Um, but I think like the amount of carbohydrates you, you need, I'm not saying, not saying everyone needs to go on a, like a ketogenic diet, but it's not, it's nowhere near 400 to 600 grams a day, you know? And I think, um, I think you get a lot more bang for your buck when you specifically manipulate your carbohydrates around training. That's one of the main things that I've learned to do. Um, that's again, made me quite competitive with, you know, 20 hours of training a week because, um, of that specific, the right fuel, right time approach. Um, but you know, you, uh, what I always say is it's all about finding your sweet spot. So if you're monitoring enough things, whether it's your HRV, your blood glucose, how you feel in training, whether you can still do the high intensity stuff, if all that's in time, um, then you're at the right carbohydrate level. And for most people, that's between 100 and 200 grams a day. In my experience, it's certainly not between 300 and 400 grams or even 600 as some people advice is, is go, goes down. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So you, your tip for age group is in that, that regard is, you know, reduce the carbohydrate intake and is it replacing it with other things or is it sort of working with a professional and trying to that yeah, right, I mean, right place, right you time? You have to work. You have to work with a with with someone who knows what they're doing a, a little bit. But of course, if you're if you're reducing your carbohydrates, you have to increase your protein and your fat because overall energy balance is really really important as well. So um, you can't just reduce your carbohydrates and not replace it with anything else, right? Um, yeah. I just think, like from a training from a training perspective, from an adaptation perspective, from a generally you know health. No, not from a, not not necessarily from a weight loss perspective. I mean, it definitely helped me from a weight loss perspective. But it doesn't you know if you look at the, you know, if you look at the research in terms of diets, there's really no diet that works better than any other. They're all the same. Um, it's just how what what you can adhere to the best. And for me, I can adhere to a lower carb diet for a very long. Um, but I've been doing it since 2012, and I find it really easy to do. Um, I can't say I'm doing it now because I'm trying to bulk up a bit of. Um, I'm just trying to get more calories in because I'm trying to bulk. But um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's all about finding out, working with a professional, finding out what works, finding out what, what works for you, really. Yeah, like with, like with many things. Um, and the other one you touched on there just briefly was HRV. Obviously, that's what your PhD is in. Can you, like, how do you use HRV? And how do you implement that into your training? And again, what would your advice be for age groupers who were intrigued by the use of HRV and how they could practically... Um, it yeah, I, I mean, so when it comes to training, you've got to think of it as, as a, the training is really, really simple is that there's a stimulus and there's a, a response. So if you have the correct stimulus and you have the correct response, you are automatically going to be getting better. The problem comes when you have a poor stimulus, so your training's wrong. So you, well, you, you know, you're training for an Ironman and all you're doing is bench press and, and hill sprints. Right, you know that's not going to be a very good stimulus for an Ironman. For for the for the most obscure example, to take it to the other level, but then the response is okay. How's my body coping with this? Am I am I am I adapting in the right way? And you know most most triathletes and most coaches they do very well in the stimulus part. You know, working at the right thresholds, getting the training right, but they're not very good at the response part. So they have no way of knowing if they're adapting and coping with the training. And looking at trends and using HRV is the best way um, you can objectively quantify the response. 
So if you have an athlete who's got the who's got the right stimulus, and then they have like a good, like stable, stable increasing HRV, you know that the response is also right. If you're that same athlete has the right stimulus who has unstable permanently decreasing HRV, you know that the response is wrong. It does not necessarily mean that the train the training could be too hard, or they might have work stress and not get enough sleep and all those sorts of things. So that's typically how I use hrv is to make sure that the response is right to the training that's being given uh, but like you know you can you can measure hrv in loads of different ways you know we're borrowing hrv for training but like i say to everyone who asks me the question what should i get it doesn't matter what you get because they're all good but the interpretation is everything and nine times out of ten these devices don't give you enough in terms of interpretation which is why you have to um work with someone who knows what they're talking about when it comes to the interpretation of the of the data right one last thing because you mentioned your physiological profile and being uh better suited to long course and you were sort of given that advice early on but kind of ignored it and then sort of came to the same conclusion do you what sort of testing do you implement with age groupers and, and what do you do yourself obviously you have access to labs through the university but are there any sort of field tests that that age groupers can you do and you think are, are useful in that regard? I mean, not really, not in the field. I mean, I used, uh, I was always, I was, I, I was com- becoming a fan of like doing a five minute. I mean, I think five minute power is good for a VO2 max as a field test. VLA max points you in the right direction for anaerobic capacity. Um, but like, you just can't get by getting in a lab you know we talked about things that you can spend your money on i think you know spending your money on a lab testing and getting your zones and profiling done correctly is is a very good use of um of of funds um because there's really there's a lot of field tests out there but they're all they're all estimations on estimations you know they're all modeling based on based on data that's on on based on an estimate so even like VLA Max, there was just a new study that was brought out that was showed that VLA Max has a 19% day-to-day variation. So you could have a 19% difference in someone's VLA Max VLA Max value from one day to the next. And for those who don't know, VLA Max it kind of is an indirect marker of anaerobic capacity. So you imagine now that there's there's platforms out there that use VLA Max to determine thresholds and determine substrate use, fat versus carbohydrate combustion. And um if you get a 90% day-to-day variation, it's not going to be giving you a very good value in, in another estimation that it's trying to assume, right? So um, so I've kind of, as much as I, I think they can give a bit of guidance, you um, you can't just can't get by um, getting into the lab and doing some proper testing. Yeah, your approach very much seems like you, you sort of know the demands of the event. And if you've sort of got a goal or a target time, like if, whether it's a positioning you sort of know what sort of time you have to do therefore you work backwards from that and you you train specifically for the demands of the event in the in the location and the uh, taking into account the topography of the course um and you sort of work backwards from there and then um you've obviously worked out that formula that works for you and you you stick to that and you know what you need to do um over that period of time and then you'll arrive to race days well prepared um so getting to sort of finicky with specific details and numbers and data points is not necessarily um overly useful or shouldn't put too much emphasis on that maybe yeah well i think 
Yeah, but I do think knowing your thresholds and knowing where things lie is is, is really important. From a you know, you still have to prescribe a threshold. A threshold training session is still a threshold training session, and you can't and you still need to know where that lies ish. And also, even from monitoring, like when you're doing your your runs, and you might be doing the Ironman pace. You need to know whether it's realistic or not. So if you don't know where your LT1 or VT1 heart rate is. How on earth are you supposed to ascertain whether that pace is appropriate for an Ironman? You know, you can be running at four minute Ks at a heart rate that's closer to, you know, you might be able to do it, but if your heart rate's closer to VT2 than VT1, then, you, then you're not going to be able to do it in an Ironman, right? So I think it's it's still, you, those physiological values are important to, to know, not necessarily a little bit from a training prescription standpoint, but then also from a monitoring standpoint to actually know what you're looking at, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's a good summary. Uh, anything else you'd like to talk about? Um, no, I think that's good. I nice think we covered a lot of a lot of good, hopefully, hopefully useful information for everyone. Yeah, well, I uh, obviously this was supposed to be about Dan Plews, the athlete, so we definitely talked a lot about that. But naturally, it was going to go into a little bit of science and HRV and fueling and uh, training stimulus and testing and so forth. So we've so we've we've definitely we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, the final question from me, is your dad still going to Taupo and will you be joining him? <laughs> yeah, so my dad is going to Taupo. He's doing it. He's he's ready to go, 72 years of age. So, um, But I will not be joining him. <laughs> no. I actually, I still had my... Um, I still had my slot ready to go and I got asked to validate, like, you know, put it in um, post... Actually, it came just post-California, but I just let it go. So, um, no, I'm not... I'm not doing I'm not doing that one. So <laughs> so you you've uh the ship has sailed then. You've broken your dad's heart and the ship has sailed. Yeah, well, yeah. COVID COVID broke my dad's heart because otherwise I I would have done it in 2020. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, long time. Yeah, it's a long time ago. I mean, it's funny I qualified for that race in 2020 and that's going to be 2024. I mean, it's a, a long time to to um, wait. Yeah, it's been a while. I know there's some people who uh, qualified 2019 mm. uh, myself included and some of them held on to it i was i was the same as you i let it i've let it go and if yeah. i want to go back i'll re-qualify yeah. um probably not the smartest decision for the um with inflation rates and the cost of the entry now but i was the same <laughs> as you my my ego was kind of saying well if i if i want to go again i'll re-qualify so yeah yeah, yeah, no, yeah. and by that point i'm going to be too massive and muscular <laughs> so I won't, I won't be um won't be doing it won't be any good anymore yeah you'll be unrecognizable you'll have yeah. to you'll have to bulk up and then come back again maybe do, when you do a do a big do it again and one of the one of the reasons I'm, I'm kind of going down the strength training realm is because i i think you know i'm 40 and i want to be as big and as strong as i possibly can be by the time i get to 50 from a health and a health and longevity perspective that's mm -hmm. kind of the main aim but also if i don't do this i think i'll just get sucked back into endurance training you know so so I'm. Uh, I think it's, it's it's one way to make sure that I won't have any choice but to carry on being more of a hybrid athlete. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's all the rage as well, the hybrid athlete. So watch yeah. this space, Dan. Yeah, please. yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, Dan, thank you very much for coming on and and uh, speaking with us and and sharing all that you did and really going into the details. Um, I said to you before we started recording that, you know, the whole premise of this Diary of an Age Trooper podcast was sort of to have, you know, somewhat selfishly have conversations with athletes that I want to have conversations with. And obviously uh, you sort of made a name for yourself 2018 onwards in particular. 
and I've sort of followed your individual journey. Um, but definitely some things I got to talk to you about today and ask you that I've been wanting to for a while. And they're just yeah. in the back of my head when I, whenever I hear you on a podcast or read about it, definitely very intriguing and inspiring. So thank you for your time. Thank you um, for coming on and um, going into detail and uh, yeah, I'm sure people will really enjoy it and get a lot out of it. Cool. No, thanks for having me on. Yes. Thanks, Sammy. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. If you have any questions, feedback, or ideas for future guests, please contact us via the Diary of an Age Grouper Instagram page. Alternatively, you can email info at jetcoaching.com.au. Don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe. This podcast was born to discuss all things age group triathlon. As an athlete, coach, and fan of the sport, I've always been intrigued with different approaches to training and how to optimize an individual's performance. We will speak to athletes who perform at a high level, as well as those with an interesting story. We will speak to coaches with a vast array of experience and also experts in various fields. We want to sift through what the physiology labs tell us, as well as what we see the pros doing, and take the lessons that apply to us. This is the Diary of an Age Grouper.